You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. Well, my voice is a lot better than last week, and thank you for tolerating my voice last week. But uh, today, looking forward to starting a series uh, on the Ten Commandments. Many of you will remember, if you're old enough, in the early 2000s, there was a lot of news about the Enron Corporation. Any of y'all remember that? The CEO, Andrew Fasto, was the guy. He was the CFO of the Enron Corporation, and that was an energy trading company in Texas. Until he was fired shortly from the company because they had to declare, declare bankruptcy. And Fasto was convicted of defrauding Enron out of tens of millions of dollars. But at his hearing, this is what I want you to hear. Fasto made this statement. Somewhere along the way, I lost my moral compass and with it, the ability to navigate my life. Our families, our cities, our nation are in trouble. Anybody agree with that? And here's the trouble. Somewhere along the way, we have lost our moral compass and with it, the ability to navigate. The moral compass, you ask, what what is that? Well, you know, the moral compass is Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. And that's what we want to talk about today. This is an introduction. So take God's Word and join me there and Not just today, but for several weeks we'll be in this study, and we'll examine all this together. Now, here's the setting. After being enslaved to the Egyptians for hundreds of years, the children of Israel were on their way to the Promised Land. Once again, God knew that they would need some rules to live by, or they would destroy themselves. The same is true of us today. So God met with Moses on top of Mount Sinai to give him the basics for survival. What God basically gave Moses were the guidelines. And those guidelines are what we call the Ten Commandments. Do you follow that? Very simple. You may be saying, I said this last week, you may be saying, Pastor, because I made a comment about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, they are out of date. We've gone past them in our day, and they are no longer necessary. The truth is, we've not gone past the Ten Commandments. We've never caught up to them. Somewhere, listen, God not only wrote them on tablets, He wrote them somewhere else. And in the book of Romans, in chapter 2, 15, this is what it says. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. Now learn this. The Ten Commandments are timeless. They are what you would call our homeland security. Now obeying the Ten Commandments will not save your soul, but they can save your family and your future and our nation, and here's how. Very simple. 
by providing you and your family a moral compass to live by. Today is an introduction. So what I'm going to do, you can follow on the screen or in your Bibles, but I'm going to read 21 verses of Exodus chapter 20. You know, sometimes as a pastor, you come to church and you wonder if you're reading too much Scripture, but I think church is probably a good place to read it. Amen? And you just don't assume everybody even knows about the Ten Commandments. Because we sure don't live like we got ten, do we? And I'll say something later on. You know, if they disobeyed or broke any of the first six, they were sentenced to death. How many of us still be alive if that was the case today? And this is what it says. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> you shall not make for yourself carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I said something about that last week. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the seventh day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within their gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. God didn't play in the Old Testament, did he? Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The Ten Commandments are known in Hebrew as the Decalogue. Ten words. Ten words. And we're going to devote the next several weeks to these ten words. Now, the origins of the commandments are very clear. We find that the Ten Commandments themselves were written in stone by the very finger of who? God. That's in Exodus 31, 18. God wrote those in stone, for they would remain in effect as long as time endured. He wrote them with his own finger to show he personally spoke and wrote these Ten Commandments. They were special. 
The Ten Commandments, as you know, were placed, if you've seen the movies, what the Hebrews called the Ark of the Covenant. The golden box was at the center of Israel's temple there in Jerusalem. And so, as they would go, uh, you know, you, you, you read stories about how they were to follow and how they weren't supposed to be too close, especially if you watched all the movies. But here's the deal. God kept these Ten Commandments at the center in order to testify of the eternal significance. The Ten Commandments are recorded two places in the Bible. One is, we just wrote it, Exodus chapter 20, and the other one is Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now think about this. Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law. Now some people want to know, well, why did he repeat it twice? Okay, so Exodus is the announcement of God's law, and Deuteronomy 5 is repeating the Ten Commandments For the next generation for sake of emphasis. It was given the first time on Mount Sinai and repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5 verses uh, 6 through 21 at Mount Horeb. Which is a total different name for the same mountain. So if we were to read through the entirety of the Old Testament today. We find the Ten Commandments repeated by such prophets as Jeremiah, Hosea, and Ezekiel. The commandments play an important part in our New Testament as well. Jesus himself said this about the commandments in Matthew 5. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So my goal this morning is highly practical. I want you to see the value of God's law for your life. Did you get that? I want you to see the value of God's law for your life. And I think these 10 words from God represent some insight and wisdom that most of us Americans don't really pay much attention to. Here are 10 directives that are designed by the Creator to teach us how to live. So basically, I want us to look at three things to try to understand about God's law this morning. The first one is, God's law is significant of God's character. Before we examine the commandments themselves in detail, I want you to look at the setting and where the commandments were given. Now, Exodus 19 describes the lawgiver. Now, I would really like to encourage you as you leave here today, sometime this week, to really go back and read all of Exodus 19. I'm not going to do all of that this morning, but... I'm going to uh, read probably about 10 verses for the sake of time. And begin with verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. 
The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. For you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. The Ten Commandments communicate the character of God. The setting tells us of who he is. Notice carefully the, uh, the scene there described to us by Moses. Some one and a half to two million Israelites have left slavery in Egypt. And God has purposely, purposely placed them in the wilderness of Sinai. Now today, some of us are in the wilderness. Some is because we've allowed ourselves to wander in the wilderness. But for some, God has a specific purpose for placing you in the wilderness. But here, he had placed them in the wilderness of Sinai. The whole mountain was ablaze with fire as God intended to impress the people. He wanted them to see the greatness of the lawgiver before they studied his law. Well, that makes sense. A line was to be drawn at the foot of a mountain where they must not cross. If anyone, in verse 12 it says, or animal touches but one stone of the mountain, he was to be stoned or shot with a bow and arrow. In other words, they must not touch the mountain, not because it was a magical rock, but because the mountain was the place where God's holy presence had descended. A thick cloud also covered the mountain as the mountain itself began to shake violently. Then they heard a loud trumpet blast from heaven that grew louder. That's in verse 19. After three days of preparation to meet God, the people witnessed the desert mountain covered with thick clouds. They heard the thunder and witnessed the lightning. And one flash of lightning can be nearly 12 inches in width, two miles in length, and it has the ability to pack a billion volts of electricity. Now, that's a lot. The mountain was further described as being filled with smoke. When Moses spoke to God, the voice of the God of God came out as in thunder. God did not reveal his law with the sweet sound of a harp, you understand, and the song of angels. Instead, the law was given with an awesome, inspiring voice of God that shakes the mountain. Can you imagine? No wonder Scripture says, listen to this, did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? What happened at Sinai happens whenever any one of us feels the force of the law inside of us. The law thunders inside of us. When the prophet Habakkuk encountered God near the end of the Old Testament, he writes of his experience. 
In Habakkuk 3, verse 16, it says, I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. You see, this was God's intention. He wants you and I to see the flames that Moses saw and abandon forever all hope of acceptance by the works of the law. You understand, we are under grace today. You know what God's law was designed for? God's law is designed to cut us to pieces. It is. It's to tear us to pieces. It is so pure. It is so uncompromising that when we experience its full force, it makes us tremble. It causes us to drop to our knees. And inside our conscience, we feel the full dreadful force of the law, and it feels like God has released his full artillery. Hebrews 4 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You see, the law of God is an excessively bright light that searches us. Just like in Psalms 139, search me, O God, and see if there's any evil thought, any wicked way in me. Much like the bright light of a highway patrol officer who searches the car of a drunken man in the mid-morning hours. God intends, don't miss this, his law to be a whip of wire. What do I mean by that? You see, when the law arrives, all boasting of keeping the law ceases. You heard me say earlier, the death penalty was reserved for any person who violated one of the first six of the Ten Commandments. Pretty tough, isn't it? You thankful for Jesus? Three of you, are you thankful for Jesus? Thank you. The nation of Israel's judicial system was to kill such a person for their actions kindled, because it, it just kindled the wrath of God himself. You understand, again, that God intended you and I to look into the flames of Mount Sinai and abandon all of the hope of being found and accepted by God on the basis of keeping the Ten Commandments. You see, when God comes near any person in, he, in His holiness, He kills any and all of us. It is no small thing to stand before the face of an eternal God. Can you imagine arriving again, Him just arriving again one day? You ever think about it? Now listen to this. If his given of the Ten Commandments were so scary, what will it be like on the day when he returns? Well, let me just show you. Revelations chapter 6. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful 
and everyone, slave and free, look at this, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and the wrath from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? I'm telling you guys, God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. So first, we see God's law is significant of God's character. Second, God's law is spoken by God's mediator. Look at verses 18 through 21 of chapter 20. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains shaking, smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you. That the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. You see, if you remember, the children of Israel was not always infatuated with who Moses was. Actually, they wanted to stone him to death, if you remember that. Now, buddy, ain't that a good group of people? Huh? That's just like God coming and healing you from cancer, or God just saving you, pittering through anything, and then you just turn your back and go the other way. We, you know, we do those things today. But can you imagine what all they had already seen? All the miracles they had already seen? And then they thought about stoning him. The people were terrified by the presence of God, and they cried out to their leader. I mean, nevertheless, they still called for him. Verse 19, and said to Moses, you speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. He was everything to them at that moment. You see, when you appear before a holy God, you would no more approach him than you would walk into shark-infested waters. Why? Why? Because when God appears in front of you and you and I tremble in awestruck fear, it is a wise thing to call for a mediator to stand between you and he. Now, I want you to notice the order of how this works both then and now. God's whip of wire lashes our conscience first. Then and only then we run to the mediator. What is it taking for God to really break you down to where you really called on the name of the Lord? Look at what Charles had in Spurgeon. He said, no man knows the brightness of the gospel till he understands the blackness of those clouds which surround the law of the Lord. You see, Moses was their mediator. He was their chosen person, and he was also God's chosen person to represent all of Israel. They were too afraid to stand before this holy God. So you need to understand, Moses was a very good mediator. Later, he prays on behalf of the people. If God's thunder has struck you this morning, then why don't you run to a better mediator than Moses? You know who that is? His name is Jesus. That's who it is. 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus hung on a cross, became sin, our high priest, our mediator. It was none other than Jesus Christ himself who said, 
all the, that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So God's law is spoken by God's mediator. Lastly, God's law is surrounded by God's grace. This is the big deal here. Grace. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Here's the question. Is the law opposed to grace? Another way of asking that, same question. Is the Old Testament opposed to the New Testament? No, not at all. Did you see verse 4 there? You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Notice carefully the law was given after God set his people free. You see, the commandments followed the gospel of undeserved deliverance. You see, people assume that in the Old Testament, salvation came by doing the law. Whereas the New Testament, salvation comes by grace. The truth is that salvation has always came by grace. We don't ever need to forget that. God did not give the Ten Commandments until Exodus chapter 20. Chapters 1 through 19, of course, comes first. God was at work in order to set his people free. And in chapters 1 through 19, it tells the story of God's grace. You see, they tell the story of God keeping his promise that he gave to Abraham. That's grace. It's in these chapters that we learn of God's miraculous deliverance of the people of Israel. That's grace. Do you catch it? Man, the law came after they were delivered. Remember, the law came after God's grace. They were delivered in order to encounter God himself. And still, God's grace comes after his law. Much like a sandwich, God works his grace, then his law, and then his grace again. Look at verse 2 of chapter 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Lord your God. This brings me to my concluding thought. You know your problem and my problem is that we really don't find our authority in God if we'll be honest. We are finding our authority in lesser things. You know what Israel was doing while Moses was up on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments? You know what happened, don't you? When he came down there, oh yeah, they were making a golden calf and they were already worshiping an idol. They had just seen, listen, they had just seen God undoing all the gods of Egypt, yet they are doing exactly what they saw in Egypt, mimicking the people around them. And one of the things that isn't clearly stated in Scripture, but that people in the time of Moses would have certainly picked up on, and, and that theologians have picked up on, is that the ten 
plagues of Egypt directly relate to the ten leading gods of Egypt. And a lot has been written, been, uh, written about them. Let me just say a few things about those. So, for example, Happy, H-A-P-I, was the god of the Nile. And the Lord God shows that he rules over the Nile. Hecate was the goddess of fertility. You know what Hecate looked like? She had the head of a frog, and it was like God saying, Oh, you're like frog? Here's a few million. Remember that? Huh? And then you had Hathor. She was the goddess of love and protect. She wasn't better looking. You know what she looked like? She had the head of a cow. And then all the livestock died. Do you see what God was doing? Then Ra was the sun god. And all Egypt went dark for three days. You see, Pharaoh was seen as divine. Even himself was seen as divine. And God killed his firstborn son and all of the firstborn children in Egypt. So do you see what God is doing here? Also, God wiped out the whole entire Egyptian army in the Red Sea. You remember that? Don't you see what God was doing? He was showing his incredible power over Egypt. He is showing us where true authority lies and what true glory is. Now I want to say something. If I don't pray and if I don't read my Bible, then I might be a pastor. But this can easily be just a job for me. Just like your job in your life is for you. If I don't pray, and if I'm not regularly praying for people, this stuff can become very mechanical, not worshipful. Do you all understand that? If I don't get aligned with God daily, I, for, I can forget who I'm serving, and I'm nothing more than a professional Christian. I've said this so many times from the pulpit, and I'll say it again. But what we do when it becomes more important for the one we do it for, we have lost our first love. And you need to understand it happens to many pastors and staff all over the world. Because you really get into ministering and doing things, but you get so caught up in it, you forget who it's about. Guys, this is the thing about worship. This is for another time. But we come in, and it really doesn't matter what we sing, what we do. We, we, we're not really worshiping just God. That's why I can block out the noise and just go to God. Because I serve an audience of one. Some of you are afraid you're going to be discovered. You may be afraid you have to come up here and get on the praise team or something. I never had that problem. But you've got to understand, when was the last time you just worshiped God for being God? Does that make sense to you? But I do pray. I do read my Bible. And if I do remember the gospel, and if I do align my heart with God's heart, then I can find authority and life in the right place. And in my work, and in my parenting, and in me being a husband, as me being a pastor, and I can be a friend filled with joy and life, and the same is true of you. It's no different for you. Listen, if you align your life with God in Christ, and if Jesus becomes your true authority, then you start living for him, 
you won't need your work so much. What do I mean by that? You will actually be able to just go to work and work and serve people and do a good job because that pleases God. Whatever you do, do as unto the Lord. Think that would change a lot of things? Huh? Everything you say, everything you do, as unto the Lord. I really believe that. You won't need a job to give you an identity, and you will be a blessing to others. You will be able to love other people. You'll be such a better husband or wife because you aren't, listen, you aren't seeking to validate yourself and your wife or husband. You are finding your authority in God. Like I said, we look for pleasure and so many other things, but not the right thing. Listen, God is the only thing that you're going to find true, true agape love in. Listen, he is the only one that loves unconditional. But we will be such a better, better person. God was saying to the people of Israel, I love you. I have saved you. And he is saying the same thing to each of you today. This is what the message of the gospel is all about. It's God's declaration that he loves you and Jesus was willing to die on a cross and face God's wrath for our adultery. Make sense? For all the ways that we seek to find authority and life in lesser things, Jesus was willing to let that die with him in order for God to show his love for us. Aren't you thankful? I guess my hope and prayer for you is that God, right now, would undo your gods. Get that? Would undo your gods. Just like he did in all of Egypt and all of these, in these false places where, man, it's just like, that's where we find our authority, it seems like. My hope is that God would undo that, that he would realize, listen, we would realize that so much of what we are assigning authority to has no authority and that we would find authority in him and him alone. Know this, when you begin to see the things that you have assigned authority to that don't really have authority, the God who has authority is saying to you in Christ, listen, I have saved you out of Egypt. I have delivered you out of slavery. I have delivered you from sin and you can run to God and find life in him. And remember, he also says, you shall have no other gods before me. We'll talk about that next week. Look to me. Find life in me. Find authority in me. You know, the Hebrew word that is most often translated glory is kavod. It means weight or density. This is God. He is weighty. He is thick. God is all-powerful. God is showing his power, but he is also showing his love. God is powerful. But you know what else God is? He is also a Savior. And God has the way of displaying both his power and his love at the same time. Let's pray together as we come to our invitation. Somewhere along the way, some of you have lost your moral 
compass and with it the ability to navigate your life. Let's all just be honest. We all need help in the keeping of the Ten Commandments. We need to understand that they were not ten suggestions. And as we come today, I think my prayer mainly is for the thing I said is I just asked for God to undo your gods. Whatever's standing in your way that's keeping you from being closer to Jesus today than yesterday, you need to remove it. You need to ask God to get it out of your life. Some of you this morning, you, you, you hear the Ten Commandments and you hear these verses that, that are in Revelations that people were crying out just praying that God would kill them. You need to understand today, if you're here and you've got breath in your lungs, it's not too late for you to know Jesus. Just quietly, just quietly pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And Father, I ask that you come into my heart and save me and be the boss of my life. Father, thank you for coming into my heart. And Father, I ask that you would help me to change my playground and help me to hang around people that lift me up. For others of you, whatever you may be struggling with or whatever, you, if you need to come and pray or you need to pray with one of us pastors, we will be here. Just do what God instructs you to do today. Father, thank you again for this day, for your word. And Lord, I just pray now that our people will be faithful in obeying it. In Jesus' name, I ask it all. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple Podcast. We hope you are encouraged today, and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.